What up, Earthlings? As always, it is a damn good day to have a damn good day, which is tough to say today because we got this dude, the coronavirus, just rolling up on us, guns blazing, freaking everyone out, and it's a scary time right now. I mean, half of my friends are on the field of, man, everything's fine, the media's hyping it up, it's just another flu, everyone's gonna be okay. And the other half is like, bunker down, it's about to get real, oh my god. And you know, I think I'm right in the middle of the two of them, but I know for sure it's definitely something that we need to be careful about, we need to be prepared, so make sure you guys are taking the necessary precautions, staying healthy, exercising, eating healthy, all the stuff you should be doing anyway, but right now is even more critical of a time to be healthy. But today's episode is gonna be awesome, and we have the man, Mr. Beach Money himself, the author of Beach Money, Jordan Adler, came to my apartment in Santa Monica. California to record a podcast. At the age of just 34 years old, Jordan had less than $200 in the bank. He had $36,000 in credit card debt on 22 separate cards and was living in a garage in Tempe, Arizona. Upon hitting rock bottom, he really used it as a complete propulsion to launch himself up where he then went on to become the top earner in his company with two and a half million distributors earning $20 million in his business. On top of that, Jordan is a certified paraglider a helicopter pilot, meaning he can just go lease and fly a helicopter pilot whenever he wants, just roll up to Subway or any fine establishment, just grab a sub, jump back on the heli and be out. And he's also one of the first civilians that is going to be going into orbit aboard Richard Branson's spacecraft. Now I gotta say, Jordan's the man, such a cool guy. I really recommend you guys watching this video live on YouTube, just because you know seeing his interactions and his expressions and his overall outlook on life It truly is completely priceless. So I'm super fired up for you guys to listen to this episode. In this lesson, we discuss how to build a brand that inspires yourself and others, the process to become a helicopter pilot and what that entails, lessons learned on a visit to Necker Island with Richard Branson, and embedding your vision into dreams instead of goals. As always, you can watch this podcast with Jordan and I live on YouTube. And without further ado, episode 82 with Jordan Alder. Let's jump into it. Jordan Adler's in the house. Hey, what hey. up, Jordan? How you doing, Ian? Living the dream. Nice. And I love your brand. You're rocking the shirt that says freedom. Where yeah. did that come from? You know, uh, back in 1992, some guy gave me a poster and uh, it said freedom on it, but it had this really cool image. And I put it on my wall. It inspired me. Like just, it, it's been on my wall for like 25 years. It inspired me. And so we tracked the guy down in a small town in Colorado and he, um, he still had the image and he wasn't doing anything with it. And I asked him if I could buy it from him and I did. And we made this cool artwork and t-shirts and things like that. Isn't it so empowering when you're rocking your own brand? Yeah, man. Like yeah. This, this is actually the first podcast that I've actually worn this shirt. We just got these shirts. Oh, yeah. Damn. So freedom. The it's long, all, it's all about duplication. Right Starts with three. Yeah. It's something about wearing your brand, being your brand, becoming your brand. That's so empowering towards just the everyday you know, making things, making things happen. You know what I mean? Just like, and it's so simple to make a shirt. You can create one custom shirt for say 50 bucks, which is a lot of money, but you can do it, you know, without having to buy a hundred at a time. Exactly. And you can rock your brand in a matter of, you know, an hour. So highly recommend anyone listening to rock your brand. Your brand is unreal. I mean, beach money. I mean, you're, you know, you call yourself Jordan beach money Adler. You know, Beach you, Money Jordan. Beach Money Jordan. And you're, you know, all of the people that I know inside of the direct sales world and inside of the networking world speak so highly of you. Thank you. You're an absolute legend amongst just, you know, people that have made moves, that have changed lives. You've spoken on the biggest stages. And you're like a super cool down to earth dude. Thank you. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. You have built a amazing reputation. Thanks. Well, it was kind of accidental. You know, I I uh Used to back many years ago, I used to run classified ads to try, and this was back when I had like no money. My job was paying me under 20 grand a year. And I'd run these little classified ads to try and attract people to my business. And, and the only one that would work is when I titled it beach money. And I don't even know where it came from, but when I put beach money in there, I'd get like 20 times more calls than if I put anything else. Didn't matter what it was. So years later, when I wrote the book, I'm like, I was looking for a title and I'm like, that would be a great title because it says so much. It just speaks to the audience. You know, people are attracted to it. Who want, who doesn't want beach money? Yeah. It, right. That, that's like one and of you, those. Here you are living just blocks from the beach. It's not bad. Not bad. You pay for it though. There's a surfboard right there. 
There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Surfboard and burgers, you know, there we are. Yeah. California is great. The taxes aren't, but California is amazing. I love California. And you used to, you said you used to uh, so, do a lot in Torrey Pines? Well, I used to go to Torrey Pines and fly hang gliders. Yeah, I was a hang glider pilot for seven years. So running off mountains and cliffs. What is going, can you explain what hang gliding is? Um, essentially, it's like putting, uh, if you've ever seen a, those things that look like kites, they're colorful and they're big. And you put on a harness and you hook into it and you run off a mountain. And it's essentially just a wing. And so you get to use the, the laws of nature to create lift so that you can fly like a bird. And I was on a mountain. This was, I mean, back before I could, it took me months to scrape up 500 bucks to get my first lessons, you know, and I was, I was camping up on the mountain and we walked up to the top and there were like 25 beautiful, colorful hang gliders flying over the mountain. And I'm like, that's like what I dreamt about when I was a kid. And so I saved up six, I saved up 500 bucks, took me six months and took my first lessons. And six months later I was running off mountains and I did that. We'd go camping with a group of people and and fly all over flew in, flew in Mexico, Colorado, all over Arizona. You start with a, an instructor attached to you. Well, I never went tandem. I've never been tandem in my life. That's two people that you can learn that way. But I learned actually starting on flat ground and then you practice, you know, what the wind does against the glider. And it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it, it, you have to learn a lot of technique and then eventually you're flying on a small little berm where you're having to climb up to the top with the glider set up. And then you'd run and practice your takeoffs and landings and eventually small turns and you do hundreds of those and then you go up to a 450 foot little hill again you're still you're not driving to the top you're climbing to the top with cactus and rocks and it's and the wind's blowing you over and it's it's brutal but then eventually once you get the techniques down the, the fundamentals which is you know just practicing the fundamentals hundreds of times then you're ready to go to the big mountain and you fly where the landing zone is five miles away so when I was in Colombia, I went paragliding. Yeah. And that's Did you go for, tandem? Yeah, with, with somebody. somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to take an instructor course to yeah. do the other one. But that's like the closest thing there is to real life flying. It's it, it's like being a bird. You got your wind, the wind in your face. Yeah, it's awesome. That is so cool. It's really fun. I had a good buddy, Joey Coleman, who is has an unbelievable story. I mean, they they bought a sailboat in San Francisco for like $30,000. Yeah. It was like beaten up. It was sitting there rotten forever. They got a super good deal on it put like 50 grand into it, fixed it up over the next year. And then him and his girlfriend, Kelsey sailed it from San Francisco to Nicaragua. How cool is that? And they went through like a, a little bit of a hurricane, wow. uh, almost what an lost. Adventure. It was absolutely crazy. And then they started a business doing tours where they yeah. would take people out on their pirate ship. And that is all coming full circle because he also got his paragliding license. Ah. And he was on his like 50th or 60th flight yeah. cruising right along. And then he hit a downwind at 50 feet and somehow the downwind just had him hurled down to the earth. No way. He breaks his spinal cord and gets rushed to a hospital in Columbia and they have to do perform surgery on the spot. Is he all right? To this day, he somehow is like 98% all right. Incredible. He's got a little bit of nerve damage, but besides that, he's completely fine. Does he fly still? I don't know if he flies. Yeah. I haven't seen him flying. See, I gave up hang gliding uh, many years ago, and I took up flying helicopters. Did you know I'm a helicopter pilot? You're a helicopter pilot. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that? I, I did, yeah. It's one of the few notes I have here. Yeah, so I, I gave up hang gliding. I had a little incident. It wasn't bad. I messed up my shoulder a little bit, but it, was, it wasn't bad. But I had a choice of what happened is I was, I was coming in for a landing, and the wind shifted directions. And you can't, in a hang glider, you can't land a hang glider with a downwind. If the wind's behind you, you're going to crash. So you have to fly. Well, the wind changed direction, and I had a choice between going into power lines or a barbed wire fence. And so I chose the barbed wire fence, but what I did is I pulled the bar in tight so that it shifts your weight forward, which caused me to hit the ground before the barbed wire fence. But I hit the ground going, hitting pretty hard, damaged my glider. And so I gave it up. But then years later, I decided um, – to, I decided that I had this dream to fly helicopters for years. And so that's sick. It took me, it was, it was challenging. It's the hardest thing I ever learned to do in my life. But now I fly, I've been flying helicopters now for five years. So you're just hit, sitting there, you're just an average person and you're like, okay, I want to go fly helicopters. What, well, I was, what do you I have even a, do? I have a condo in Las Vegas on the strip and I used to watch the tours. And so I'd think, I thought to myself, it'd be so cool if my friends come to town, like you come to town, I say, Hey, let's go, go up in the helicopter, take a ride around Vegas, you know? And so that was my dream and I had no idea what I was signing up for, but I just Googled helicopter training and I found a school and I went in there and 
did my discovery flight, which cost like 250 bucks just to see what I thought of it. And then I'm like, heck, this sounds good. And so I, I paid for six months of lessons to get my license. It ended up taking me two years. What does that cost? Uh, cost me 150,000 to get my license. Now, if you're doing it, if you're flying a lot, you can probably do it on 80,000 to a hundred, but I travel a lot. So I was in and out of town. So I'd fly and then I wouldn't be able to fly again for two weeks, you know, so time would go by. And so I had to make up stuff. So, um, it took me a little longer. It was real scary. Like for me, um, I, I had to really stretch my, stretch my comfort zone all the time, every week, every time I would fly. And, uh, but I also made a commitment to get it done. You know, I, I had told thousands of people that I was getting my license and I also teach people never quit. <laughs> and so I couldn't quit. So I just kept going. And I got, you know, 300 hours now. So you just, it. you just rip around a helicopter whenever you want. Once you have that license, I lease a helicopter, man. I've got stories. You have no idea. Let's hear them. <laughs> you really want to go there? Yeah, of oh, course. Man. Oh, this is crazy. So, um, about a, a little over a year ago, I decided I wanted my own helicopter. So started traveling all over the country, looking at helicopters. There was one specific one that I loved. It's a vintage helicopter called the Bell 47. It's the one they flew in. Uh, they trained in Vietnam. It was in the North Korean War. It's the most iconic helicopter in history. You would recognize it. It's the one with the bubble in the front. Elvis Presley took Anne Margaret up in La Viva Las Vegas in that helicopter. It was the first helicopter to carry a president. First helicopter to land on the White House lawn. First helicopter to be in a movie. First mass production helicopter. And so I traveled and I found this one in the swamps of Louisiana that had been completely rebuilt. It was fully restored, perfect condition, bought it, had it shipped to Vegas, um, had to put a new interior in and put some radios. And so I soloed in it. I had to go to Texas five times to get special training in that helicopter. And then I came back and I finally soloed in it. Well, here's where it gets interesting. I meet this guy who I'd known for six months. We had a couple cigars together. We'd uh, gone to lunch, dinner. He'd been out to the hangar told me he owned two of two Bell 47s like mine, told me that he owned a maintenance facility, talked to all the other pilots and mechanics at the airport, had thousands of hours. I only had hundreds. He had thousands. And so one day on August 27th, this past August 27th, we got into my helicopter, started it up, and I lifted it up off the ground, and he had so much more experience than I did. Now, this is a guy I'd known for six months. He's a friend, right? so much more experience than me. We'd never flown together and there's dual controls in the helicopter. And I said, uh, I said, um, you want to see how it feels? And he said, sure. And I said, you have the controls. He said, I have the controls. And we were hovering about five feet off the ground in a relatively confined area. The second that he took the controls, the helicopter tipped backwards, the, the tail spun around, the main rotor hit a, the tail hit a fuel cart and the main rotor hit a fuel tank and the helicopter just exploded into a million bits with us in it. And, uh, seconds later, like seconds later, we come to a stop. The helicopter is unrecognizable. There's fuel pouring everywhere. We climb out of the helicopter and we're, I think I'm dead. Like I'm looking at myself. This is surreal. We're both standing there. We should be, you, you couldn't even, the only thing that didn't get completely crushed was us. And, um, I have a little blood coming from my foot, so I need stitches in my foot. But within 10 minutes, the paramedics are there. The, um, the, uh, uh, FAA's there, the NTSB's there, and the news chopper's overhead, and he disappears, the guy I was flying with. Well, after they started the investigation, and I'm trying to get a hold of him, trying to get him with the he FAA. He just bounces? He just Like, he, he yeah. just took off? And I texted him. He said he had to go pick up his kid at school. I'm like, the FAA needs to talk to you right now. And so, uh, <laughs> so days later, um, the FAA says, how well do you know this guy? And I go, I know he has a maintenance facility and he owns helicopters and he flies every week. He flies A-stars and, you know, he's been flying for 20 years. And they said, Jordan, he's never flown a helicopter in his life. He does not own a helicopter. He does not own a facility. <laughs> yeah. So the guy was a con artist. And every, I had, I had 50 friends that knew him as a, as a tenured licensed helicopter, commercial helicopter pilot, including all the pilots at the airport. Everybody thought he was a commercial pilot. And so, uh, he ended up, um, they are right now, they're still doing a cr criminal investigation. They're pressing civil charges and they're doing a criminal because it's a felony to impersonate a pilot. So, um, so when I'll, you gave him the controls, always, did he just pull it back or something? You know, you I don't know give up doing? on my, I don't give up on my dreams. What's that? Well, how that happened. So like you gave him the controls, he just didn't know what he was doing. So he didn't, he just no, pulled it back. He literally, he literally crashed thought, it. thought he could hover it for a minute and you can't, it takes, it takes, many, many hours of 
training with an instructor to be able to hover a helicopter. But I think he, in his mind, he thought he could do it. And he crashed my helicopter within four seconds of me handing him the controls with us in it. Jeez. Yeah. And you haven't heard from and him And it since? cost me a quarter million bucks after insurance. You know, it cost me about a quarter million. And, and he almost killed me and himself. But you didn't die. Didn't you die. just walked out of that? Yeah. Okay. And I did. Yeah, I was back to my normal life the next day. I just got eight stitches in my foot and I was ready to roll. I was pretty anxious for a while. And when your nine yeah, lives is gone. Yeah, I was little. I, yeah, right. I was, a, it was a little, it was kind of like, what was that movie? Uh, Jumanji, Jumanji, right? Isn't that the movie where they have the, the lives on the stripes on the arm? Oh, every yeah, time that they is almost, Jumanji. Every time they die, they lose a stripe. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, so um, anyway, I'm here to tell the story. Um, and I, there's a lot of lessons in it. You know, I, I, I talk about, you know, how to fly. It's the same thing, the same things that you need to do to learn to be an entrepreneur, you know, the same mindset. Um, and then there's also setbacks that are sometimes major setbacks and you have to decide, are you going to give up on your dream or are you going to keep your dream alive? You got to overcome some major fears. I had to get back up on the horse. And so, uh, three months later, it took a few months, but three months later I went up with an instructor, had a great flight, did everything. He didn't touch the controls once. And I've flown a few times since then. So I took uh, a friend uh, over the mountains about three, about a month ago. We, we landed in the parking lot at a beautiful vineyard and had lunch and flew back. Can you fun. just do that? That's a thing with helicopters. They Go just anywhere. got helipads. You can just roll well, in. That particular vineyard uh, has a parking lot that allow they allow us to land. And you can walk right in and have a beautiful lunch. So you like call them up beforehand and let them know? I, I, I don't. You, you can. Like I have done that. But you can just go. Like if you're a private pilot, you can just go and land. You can there. just roll in on yeah, a heli and yeah. just go get some burger. Like yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> right, right, right. It's pretty cool. It's a great. It's a great uh, expensive. So you don't own one now. Hobby. I don't, and and I'll probably at some point down the road buy another one, but not yet. Right. Yeah. So I lease. That's crazy. Yeah. So you can just take fun. somebody up when you lease. How much does it cost? Like an hour to lease a uh, five fifty an hour. Five fifty an hour. Yeah. So if I take and that's only the the time from startup to shutdown. So if I go to lunch, I'm not paying for it when it's sitting on the ground. Got it. So it cost me a thousand bucks for lunch. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hour Damn. there, hour back. What's the most unreal experience? Like, what does it feel like when you're up there? It's just freedom. You know, it's just, it feels like freedom. It's like, it's been a, so even back when I was a small child, I can remember, you know, laying in the grass and thinking what it would feel like to float and fly over the neighborhood, you know? And then the hang gliding took me there. And then today helicopters take me there. And so, and I fly in life, I fly in business and I fly in helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> I know one of my good friends, Pat, shout out, has always wanted to become a helicopter pilot. He's going to lose it when he hears this. Yeah. But it's, it's cool that it's doable. That It's you doable. Know. You just have to, it's a big commitment. It's a much bigger commitment, way bigger commitment than I ever thought. Really? Yeah. I thought it'd be kind of a fun thing. First thing they do after you pay your money is they come out with this giant box of books. Like the books are all, you know, anywhere from one inch to three inches thick. And it's a huge box and lots of books. And I'm, first thing I thought is, am I going to have to learn all this? And they're like, yep, you got to learn all of it because you got to test on all of it. And they don't, you, they don't tell you what they're going to test you on. So you have to learn all of it. But you yeah. feel prepared. I mean, you don't oh, want yeah. anything to go wrong. No. Yeah, you do. Yeah. They don't. The whole system of train of of becoming a pilot and the process that they have down is is incredible in terms of really and 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 also the protocol after you're a pilot, like as far as how many how often you have to go back and get your flight reviews and you know retest on it's things. It's really dialed in. It's dialed in, yeah. And they know like you, you you can feel you can actually feel in your body when it's time for you to go back and get whatever you need you know, if you don't fly for a couple months and you get back in the helicopter you're rusty but you're allowed to fly but you're not allowed to take people with you so it's pretty much like safe in the sense that you if you do everything right there's yeah. so few crashes which is what makes the whole kobe right. bryant thing insane and yeah that, that was a hundred percent pilot error really 100 percent. all the other pilots decided not to fly that day i don't know what happened was it just the weather is that the yeah they got they got socked in with fog and you can't fly a helicopter in the fog yeah damn that's crazy to hear. So they, they didn't, I suspect that the passengers didn't even know what hit them. The pilot knew that he was in trouble, but I don't think the passengers knew they were in trouble. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, but it's, um, you know, the, all the things you talk about in business, taking risks, um, making a commitment, um, stretching beyond your comfort zone, 
um, financial commitment, all those things, personal development, all those things apply to flying as they do to becoming successful in business. Well, Setbacks. Well, let's dial this back real quick. Yeah. So upon me, you know, really kind of diving into your story, it seems as if, you know, at 34 years old, you were kind of in like a low point. Yeah. And that's really where you decided to, to take, you know, go all in with your company and, and went on to make a fortune and, and build the skills necessary. What was happening, you know, after college for you? Like what, what were those so I decade got, before that? I, I really wasn't into personal development right out of college. Um, but I did, I had 250 bucks, a guitar and suitcase. Um, I had just graduated with a degree in landscape architecture and, uh, I just wanted, I, I wanted to spread my wings. Right. So my, I had an ex-girlfriend that was living in Arizona and she said, there's lots of building going on. I hear you just come out. So I took 250 bucks, bought an airline ticket. Um, or, and then I had the 250 for living to live, <laughs> which doesn't give you much, but <clears throat> I bought a $200 motorcycle, had 50 bucks to eat for the week, started getting jobs. And I was entrepreneurial, but I didn't know it. Like, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't have that in my family. So I started answering classified ads and looking at opportunities while I had jobs, you know, working jobs. I rented roller skates. I worked at a gym, worked for the airline for a little while, did some drafting. And then I started dabbling in all these different businesses and having horrible results. Like, I, I didn't ever have any success, never made any money. 10 years, 11 different network marketing companies. And then in 1992, I joined my 12th network marketing company and I'd finally dialed it in. And I, I finally figured out the importance of building relationships and how to give a simple presentation, how to set up an appointment, the simple fundamentals, like we talked about before, just the fundamentals. And once I had those dialed in, I got to where I could give a presentation. I got to where I could set up an appointment. I got to where I started signing people up. Not a lot of people, like one a month. And I did that for a couple of years. I met a guy that had had huge success in network marketing and he was young, married with a little kid, lived in a little mansion, the nicest home I'd ever seen. And <clears throat> he told me that if I wanted to be successful in network marketing, I needed to sign up a minimum of 30 people as distributors. And I started thinking if I could sign up one person a month working part-time while I had my job, do that for a couple of years. He said, if you sign up 30, a third of them will do nothing. A third of them will do a little, a third of them will do a little more than a little. And one out of 30, one out of 20 to 30 will go out and do something worth talking about and it will set you free financially. That's what he told me. And I believed him. And so I started focusing on sponsoring one person a month, giving three presentations a week. So 12 presentations a month to sign up one a month. That was my goal. And I kept track. I did that for a couple of years. And after two years, I had signed up 19 people. So I didn't hit my goal of 24 people after two years, but I had my blinders on. It didn't matter what anyone said to me. That was my focus. Working lunches at a cafe called Coffee Plantation on Mill Avenue in Tempe. And so I do three, three presentations a week, some weeks four, some weeks two, but mostly averaging three a week. And then after two years, I had 19, my 16th person. She signed up a person in New Mexico named Judy Dubiel. Judy was a secretary and a student, and Judy started doing home meetings and inviting people to her home in Albuquerque. Once in a while, I would go out there, and she, over the next three years, built a group of 12,000 distributors and 40,000 customers, and I made my first million. So that was on my third year. By my third year, I was on track to make a million dollars. What do you think changed in your, in your mental when it came to just doing that simple thing? Yeah, it was, it was a combination of two things. The first thing was... Um, after failing so many times, um, I, I realized I figured out that quitting is not a great strategy for success because I would, I would work it for two or three months. Um, things weren't going well. And so I would get neg some negativity, some from some friends, or I'd have some type of a setback. Something would derail you. Yeah. It, it, within two to three months I would quit and then I would sign up for my next one. And I did that one for a few months and I'd quit that one. And then I would do another one and that went on for, um, you know, I did that for 10 years, 11 different companies. And I finally realized after all my personal development and training and books that I was reading and audios that I was listening to that every single person that had made it in network marketing or any business for that matter, not just network marketing, any business, just like flying the helicopter, they don't quit when things get tough. What they do is they figure out what, what's happening and they learn from their mistakes and they forge through. And every time you do that, you bring yourself to a whole new level. And then you start, at some point, you start getting some personal momentum. 
And when you hit personal momentum, then your business will reflect that. Yeah. I found that something that changes a lot of people when they come to setting a goal is that they don't truly believe they're going to get there and they don't see it in no. their head. They don't see it visually. So it doesn't excite them getting there to that spot. Right. They don't truly believe it. If they don't actually think it's going to happen to them, that self-doubt, it does just what you said. It requires one negative naysayer to just derail them. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. But I also know, Ian, from my experience is that a lot of times when I write a goal, I write dreams. I, goals to me, for me, goals are boring, you know, but dreams are not boring. So I'll write, I'll have, usually I'll have a couple, three dreams a year that I write down and those are what I focus on. And most of the time when I write them, I don't believe they're even possible for me. Like for example, I just spent, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but I just spent uh, a week with Richard Branson on Necker Island. Did you see that? I did. That's no, insane. Did. Yeah. And I mean, what was that like? Oh, well, I mean, it was surreal. You know, first thing happens, I show up at Necker Island. I, I didn't know if it was going to be like, what was the reason you went there? So I'm, I'm <laughs> one of my dreams was to travel to space. And I, I set that dream when I was 47. And when you're 47 years old back then, you don't go to space. Like the only people going to space are in their twenties and early thirties. You know, they're engineers and astronauts, you know, pilots, jet pilots. They don't, civilians don't go to space. But then years later, Richard Branson launched the Virgin Galactic Civilian Space Program, which had, which has been in testing for years. We haven't set, sent civilians to space yet, but that's happening. And I'm in that program. And so I got invited as one of the future astronauts to come to Necker Island, which is Richard's Island. And, um, I show up and, you know, put my bags in my room and walk out to the great house and I'm standing there and I feel a tap on my shoulder and I turn my head and it's Richard Branson tapping me on the shoulder. There's only 15 guests and 150 staff. Richard Branson standing next to me. And I'm like, this is a guy, the most today, one of the most iconic entrepreneurs in the history of our planet. And the next thing I know, I'm having breakfast, lunch and dinner with him and hanging out in the hot tub and going out on the boat and all this stuff, having conversations, playing chess. It was just surreal. But it's like, how did I get here? When I set that, when I said someday I'm going to be friends with Richard Branson, I didn't believe it, but I wrote it, but I didn't believe it. I really didn't believe it when I, just like I didn't believe I'd ever be a helicopter pilot. I didn't believe I'd ever have a worldwide bestselling book when I wrote it. I didn't believe that, you know, I was going to own beach homes all over the world. I didn't believe it when I wrote it. But it got me excited, got me getting up, got me getting up and working every day. And man, it's like when you focus your, when you, your, your brain, your subconscious mind, you know, our eyebrows, I'll just talk, our eyebrows are, are on our face because it keeps sweat from um, dripping from our forehead down into our eyes. That's why we have eyebrows, right? The reason we have a subconscious brain from, I'm not an expert at this, but I, believe that one of the reasons we have a subconscious is because it, it works in a nonlinear way when we're sleeping. So it'll solve your problems. Like your brain, we as humans think linear in a linear fashion, step one, step two, step three. So that's why our plans never go the way, way that we plan. But when you put something out there and you sleep on it, your brain will figure out ways to get you there. Your subconscious mind, when you write it down and focus on it, your subconscious mind in a very multi-dimensional way will take you to the resources that you need to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And so I don't, the, I could have never in a million years planned to get to Necker Island and be hanging out with Richard Branson. You know, the first time I met him was backstage in an event. And the only reason I was able to shake his hand was because I was a future astronaut. No one else was able to get to him because he was in and out. But because I was on that future astronaut program, I was able to shake his hand. Now, we're not friends at that point. I just shook his hand and said hi. A few weeks later, I'm on an Air New Zealand uh, from Sydney, Australia, flying back, and I'm half asleep, and I open my eyes, and Richard Branson's standing in front of me. Never in my life had I ever run into Richard Branson. He's standing right in front of me on an airplane weeks after I met him backstage. Well, this time he recognized me, but he didn't know my name. But I shook his hand and said hi, and then walked to him to, with baggage claim. And then this next time... He recognized me at Necker Island. We spent a week together. He gave me his cell phone number. I have Richard Branson's cell phone number in my phone. Now, are we friends? Mm, probably not friends, but I'm going to be on his 70th birthday bash on his Virgin Voyages, his new cruise ship line, and then I'll be back at Necker Island. By the time January comes around, I'll probably be friends with Richard Branson, but I couldn't have planned that. 
Like, could I sat down? This is how you become friends with Richard Branson, <laughs> you know. But I learned so much about business and about branding and about. What were some of those takeaways? Well, one of the things I did when we were playing chess, and I hadn't played in 15 years, but I really wanted to play chess with Richard Branson, so I asked him if we could play chess, and he said yes. So um, what happened was I went down, I went to breakfast at the, on the terrace, and I was by myself. Nobody else was there. And Richard Branson comes out. So it's just me and him. It's like Forrest Gump, right? Me and him, I'm sitting there with Richard Branson for an hour, and I said, Richard, before we leave here, I would love to be able to play chess with you, you know, just one game of chess. And he goes, let's go do it now. So we go downstairs, and, and while we're playing chess, I hadn't played in 15 years, so it's really difficult for me to carry on a conversation and play chess. At one point, he said to me, and he laughed, and I laughed. It was hilarious, but it's true. It's great advice, like in anything. He said the secret to, win, the secret to winning in chess, and he's, not, he's a good chess player. He's not great. I took his queen he, by, because he made a stupid mistake, and then he beat me because I made a few stupid mistakes. But he said to me, the, the key to winning in chess is don't make a lot of stupid mistakes. And that's how it is in business, too. You don't make a lot of stupid mistakes. You try, you know, and when you're paying attention, you don't make as many mistakes. Well, I was having a conversation and playing chess at the same time. So I, the conversation was way more important yeah. to me than winning in chess. I got to play chess with Richard Branson. So um, I, when I asked him, uh, you know, how do you make your decisions? Like, when, when somebody comes to you with a business, because a lot of people come to him with businesses, he didn't know anything about orbital, orbital space travel. He knew nothing about cruise ships. He knew nothing about the music business. Or, but he would decide, because it got him excited, and then he'd figure it out. And he'd get people around him that knew it. So one of the things I learned, and there's fundamentals. There are things you could probably figure out just knowing how he runs businesses but and by the titles of his books. But... Um, one of the things he does is he, if, if something gets him excited, he makes a decision to do it and then he finds people that know how to do it and he gives them a cut of it and he become and he gives them his, his name, his virgin name. And so, you know, when I asked him, what's the first thing that you think about, he said the first thing, which surprised me and I got it, but I didn't fully get it until later. He said, the very first thing is it has to be consistent with the virgin brand. Those were his exact words. It has to be consistent with the Virgin brand. And I get that. And then I left the island, and weeks later, a couple weeks later, it hit me. So what is the Virgin brand? The Virgin brand is adventure. It's fun. It's creativity. It's um, virgin. It's like being the first, right? Virgin, being the first. And so if you look at what he does, everything he does, he's the first to edit. Yeah. You know? And, and he still kite surfs every day. He's every like crazy. Day. He kite surf. The guy's 70 years old and he kite surfs two hours a day around the ocean. And that's around the island. That's physical. He works out five hours a day. He's 70 years old when he's home. So it real. I realized, you know, beach money is a worldwide brand. Everywhere you go in the world and you talk to somebody in on my profession, they know beach money and they light up just like you said. And I started thinking to myself, there are many people that would love to be able to benefit from the Beach Money brand. So what's the Beach Money brand? What does it represent? It represents fun. It represents dreams. It represents um, freedom, right? So I need to look at businesses that reflect that brand and then partner with people and give them the benefit of the Beach Money, be a partner with them and give them their expertise, give them the benefit of the Beach Money That's brand. That's a huge takeaway. Yeah, huge big how did and i've already i'm already i got some really exciting things in the works so it's really cool that you know you made your money in inside of your your field and you did great but you took it one step further and you built this brand and you decided to write this book which mm -hmm. must have been a challenge just writing a book and staying focused on that is a challenge in yeah, itself it sure is how did your life change when that book came out like how does that how did building that brand change from you just being you know this wealthy online marketer versus a you know it, someone with a whole business and a whole brand it really it wasn't planned. Like I didn't sit down and strategize and figure it all out like a lot of the gurus teach you to do. It wasn't like that at all. You know, I had a story to tell, lots of stories. I had pages and pages and pages of notes from conference calls, kind of like blog posts, you know, but they were on yellow pads back then. And I just needed, a, I wanted to put them all together in a book and title, and I needed a title. And I did that and 
I wanted to get the book out there. So I came up with some really cool ideas to get the book out quickly. And it did become a bestseller. It was the number, it hit number one on Amazon for one day because of, because of that. And it, that's it, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's done, it's done extremely well. I mean, it's, it's 12 years old. The second book's doing well, better than beach money. Um, second book's called better than beach money, better than beach money. First book, the book's beach <laughs> the money. way you said it, it sounded like you were just like, it's better than it, beach money. It is better than beach money. It, it, it is. is. It is. So the first book is beach money. Second book is better than beach money. And I had like 40 titles for that book and the 10 of them were good, but that wasn't right. You know, and then I was with a group of friends and we were sitting around a fire and one of them said, well, what's the book about? We're trying to figure out the name, the title. He says, what's the book about? And I said, well, the only thing I can tell you is it's better than beach money. And he goes better than beach money. And I go, damn, that's the title better than beach money. Right. That's a great name. Yeah. And I love that book. I love it. Like I, I'm excited for everyone to read that book because it's so fun. Yeah. So I didn't plan for beach money to be a worldwide bestseller. I did want to get it out there. I thought it was an exciting book and fun book for people to read. And I knew it would provide a lot of value, especially to network marketers that either question part, question themselves, whether they believe they could do it, but also what's come out of it. It's been amazing because I, there's not a week that goes by that I don't run into somebody that says, Jordan, I hated network marketing. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I avoided it. And then somebody gave me your book and I read it and I got so excited and now I'm a top earner. That's so cool. It happens all the time. I have so many people that they say beach money was the first book I read and it changed my life. Being involved in a business where someone pays for your, your, you know, goods or merchandise or services and then thank you afterwards. And that seems like the dream. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, The first thing I did, though, is I had a success story. And then from that success story, I started to live my dreams. And then as I lived my dreams, I documented those and put them into a book. And then I shared the book with people so that they could begin to believe in themselves. So that's the formula. Number one, create a success story. Yeah. Create a success story. Because there's a lot of people that try to jump into steps two, three, four, five, six without (laughs) success. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. And then I'm constantly, you know, in the beginning, my dreams were buy a fax machine. That was my dream. Get a suit. I didn't own a, I didn't own a suit that fit me. Are you big, are you a big suit guy now? No, 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 not at all. But this was back then, right? These were my dreams back then. Like back then only doctors and attorneys had cell phones and I wanted a cell phone. And I thought that would be, the you keep saying cool. back then, but I feel like you're not, you're not old. You're, I feel well, I like just, I turned 62 last week. That's insane to me. Yeah. That's I insane. Feel, to me. You feel, look like 42, thank maybe. You. Thank you. Yeah. I feel good. I feel good. So anyway, um, so cell phone, you know, I wanted a cell phone. So those are my three dreams. Well, my dreams have more like morphed into stuff. That's much for, at least for me, they're bigger dreams, you know, and they keep getting bigger as you achieve different milestones in your life, things, your priorities change, that kind of thing. And you never arrive. No, no. I'm on a constant, in fact, I still, I still enroll in courses. Like I'll go to, I just spent 10 grand on a a two day course that I took back in uh, Milwaukee with some of your friends. Um, And I'm constantly on on the path of personal development because I do believe that as you grow, you know, your, your life is a manifestation of your own personal growth. Is from what if, and I will. I also believe this that it's people that will people ultimately take you to your dreams. So um, it's being intentional about meeting new people all the time, and then doing your very best to appreciate those people in a way that's meaningful. And um, I mean, my whole business has built around been built around that. Like, if you really want the simplicity of building any successful business, and even if you look at like Richard Branson. Everybody who's successful, they surround themselves with good people, people that have big dreams, people that are up to something in their lives, um, people that, uh, that, I mean, really do a good job of appreciating people, right? So the first thing is meeting more people, meeting good people, and then appreciating those people. And then also there's another aspect, and that is um, the people that do well in business and in life are connectors. They're people that I found that when you put good people together, that creates magic. So I'll, I'll just give you an example. Um, I meet this woman who's become my, one of my closest friends. I meet her at, at a bar at the top of the Mandalay Bay at the foundation room one night. I was with my friend Bob Golden. She was with her friend. 
there was nothing going on. We were just talking. We didn't know each other. And then this was at midnight after a magic show that we had seen. And, and after a few minutes, um, one of them says, Lauren says, what do you do? And Bob says, this guy's a networker. He's one of the top networkers in the world. And she goes, I'm a networker. And I go, really, what do you do? And it turns out that she was the person that launched Tony Robbins, um, life mastery program in Fiji. And she met her first husband at Tony's home in, in, uh, Del Mar, the castle, Okay. the Del Mar castle. Yeah. So we end up finding out that we know all the same people. This is at midnight at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. We find out we know all the same people. And then Eric Warre, and you're sure you know Eric's name. Eric's a very close friend of mine. And I was with Eric and Marina at their home, rented home before they built their big home. And Eric said, do you have any connections to Tony Robbins? Because I'd love to get Tony on my stage. I said, well, I have this lady that spent months at, you know, in Namali in Fiji with Tony. And so I, I, while we're sitting there at, at Eric and Marina's rented home, I dial Lauren's number. This is connecting people. I dial Lauren's number. I put it on speakerphone. True story. She answers on speakerphone with Eric and Marina sitting there. First thing out of her mouth is, oh my gosh, Jordan, you're never going to believe this. I'm sitting here listening to Eric Worre's program. Now they've never met. She goes, I listen to, I'm sitting here listening to Eric Worre's program and he just mentioned your name. And Eric and Marina hear this. So I put them together. She introduces them to Sam Georges, who was Tony's CEO and attorney. They become close friends. And the next thing you know, Tony's on Eric's stage multiple years in a row as a result of that connection, that one connection. Wow. So what I do all the time is I look for great people that have something going on and I introduce them to each other and then I get out of the way. And then for the rest of their lives, when they tell the story, guess what they say? Jordan Adler connected us. So I look for those opportunities because when you put great people together, magic happens. That's so true. Yeah. Because they just vibe off of each other too right. and good ideas come out of that. Yeah. It's amazing when you get one, two or three people in a room just giving ideas. Everyone just meshes so well. So cool. And building that team is so next level just right. to take things to the next level. Yeah. And you've Absolutely. been able to do that very well. And this is something that... We always like to, to ask anybody that's had true success in their life, both, you know, spiritually, whether that be financially or whatnot. And it's really kind of going back in time. And if you could have went back in time, maybe to right after college, you know, obviously it took you, you know, once you hit 34, you were learning lessons before that. But really that those that time after that was really where things right. came up. But Absolutely. if you could have told yourself one, two or three things that would have saved you a ton of time, money, heartache, headache. Just things like principles that just, you know, now stop, stop freaking out. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> what do you mean that though? What do you mean? Oh, just like anxiety I, over yeah, not anxiety being where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When you're younger, you got that, got that drive to succeed and you know, year I got, I would get so depressed because I would be reading personal development books in my twenties and doing all the things that, that I thought I was supposed to do and it just wasn't happening fast enough, you know, truthfully, truthfully. Okay. So people ask me the, that question a lot. Mm -hmm. And for years I used to say, I have no regrets. I wouldn't change anything. Um, which is a good answer. It's the, just kind of a lame but answer, but it's true though, because all the store, the things that have created the momentum in my life today came as a result of the lessons that I learned when I was having the troubles. In all cases, like when I look like if I look at what what motivated me, like why did I stay motivated? Um, all the frustrations, the depression of the stories that are in beach money, like what I went through, the things that attract people to that book are they go, I can relate to this because I've been there, but I wouldn't have those stories if I hadn't gone through that. However, I do have one regret and I figured this out a few years ago. There's one that I didn't talk about. <clears throat> so once you start making money, you think you're smart. So even when you start, when you start making more money than the average person, you think you're smart. That's what professional athletes, they're smart. They're smarter because they have money. They think they, they are right. A lot of them do. A lot of them are do. And what happens is when you start having money, people come to you and they've got investments. Your friends come to you with investments. Your family members come to you with investments. People that know that you're making money come to you with investments. And because you think you're smart, you start investing in things. This is why so many football players that made millions of dollars um, retire and they're broke 
because they invest in things and they're not smart. Like, so over the, when I started making money in my uh, 12th network marketing company, I made millions of dollars there. I spent $4 million on 40 invest, 40 business uh, ventures and lost all of it. 40, 4 million bucks over a period of uh, 10 years because this sounds good. I'm going to throw 40,000 there. This sounds great. I'm going to be involved in a movie. I'm going to put 150,000 there. Oh, you're opening up a restaurant. Wow. That sounds like we're going to make bank, put a hundred thousand there. And I did that over a course of over 10 years, lost everything, really all 4 million bucks. The one regret I have is if I had just listened to the lessons from the book, the richest man in Babylon and just taken 10% of my income, every check, whether it's a hundred dollar check or a $20,000 check, or a $100,000 check, take 10% take and put it into an, a, a conservative interest-bearing account and don't touch it forever. I'd have $20 million more million if I had just done that instead of taking every penny and invested in all these different businesses, which is what most people do that start making a lot of money. And, and in almost... Because it's exciting. It's, it's exciting. exciting. Yeah. yeah, you're involved in all these different businesses, right? It's like you're Mr. Uh, self-contained Shark Tank, right? Um, and were any of those businesses like mildly successful? Like, no, no, I was in commercial real estate. Uh, I was in residential and commercial limited partnerships. I was in a movie, a couple movies, um, couple restaurants, uh, music, all kinds of stuff. And none of, they all, you know, some of them had uh, network marketing companies I invested in. Some of them had promise. The reason is because 99% of all startups don't make it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't make it, you lose all your money, right? You could get lucky. You could hit lightning in a bottle and get lucky. And some people do, but most people don't. Right. Yeah. So I could still do that stuff. Like if you, if, if you're brand new in network marketing and you're getting hundred dollar checks, take 10 bucks and put it somewhere and don't touch it forever. Every time you get a hundred dollar check, put 10 bucks away. And just don't touch it forever, no matter what. No matter how bad things get, just leave it there. And leave it there for 20 years. You know? That's what I would recommend. If I had done that, it would be... Now, in the last 13, the last 15 years, I'm doing it completely differently. And I, my results are better. Explain. Better. Well, I, I put away significantly more than 10%. Every, right. Significantly more than 10 I put away about 50%. You're playing catch up to that original thing. Right, yeah. Yeah. But the reason I can't fully catch up is because I lost the, the time. So I'm like, instead of having 30 years, I've, I've only got 15 years now. Do you think a lot of it has to do mm -hmm. with just not investing in things that you know, kind of just jumping into whole new worlds? Maybe, maybe partly. partly. Because you probably had more success with maybe the network marketing gig because you knew it intimately. So then. I was, I, one of the things I did, um, which I did have success at and I did make money was residential real estate. I bought over the course of time, I bought 49 homes, 49 rental homes, started with one. I had an LLC called uh, 50 less than a car, meaning I was going to buy 50 homes that every home cost me less than a car. So it was 50 less than a car. <laughs> that was the name of the LLC. I've sold all the property and I made money. It was, I didn't make bank, but I did make money. But I did realize that that's not the business that I want to be in. Like I didn't want to, I had property managers, but when you have that many, you've got people coming to you all the time with issues that I didn't want to have to make those decisions. You're like a glorified janitor almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's like one roof that needs replacement will eat into your profits for the, from the past five years, you know? And so I just decided I didn't want that business anymore and I sold it. And I, like I say, I made money. However, um, I learned the lesson I learned is that I'm really good at building a network marketing business. That's my lane. And I need to just pour my, just really pour all my energies and money into that. And that's what I do. And then I'm taking it and, and, and I'm taking it and conservatively building grassroots, building other businesses like the freedom brand and, you know, my beach money brand and things like that. Do you find the same things fill up your cup that filled up your cup, say two, uh, 20 years ago that they do now? Um, yes, but not to the same extent. Flying still does. Like I crave, like if I don't get, if I don't go up for, I if I don't go up, with yeah. <laughs> if I, come to Vegas, man, we'll go up. That would be, be sick. Yeah. That would be a great, out. um, I, if I don't fly for two weeks, I start feeling really like I got to get up in the air. Okay. Um, things like cars and watches used to be way more exciting to me than they are today, but they're still exciting to me. Like I still love, I still love exotic cars. I've never bought practical cars. I always buy cars that 
I think are just really cool and fun. Like I own a, I own a Fisker Karma. Do you know what that is? No. It's an electric solar sports car. It's a big sports car. And they only made them one year. They went out of business. But it's super exotic and super cool. I'll show you a picture. Richard later. Branson must have liked that. He, he has, Did you tell him? <laughs> uh, we didn't talk about that. No. But And then I own a 1959 uh, TR3, which is an old Triumph, uh, restored from England. Sick. Which used to be a little race car. This is all in of, Vegas? Yeah, in Vegas. And then I love my watches, but I'm not, I'm not driven. Like I used to be, I couldn't walk by a watch store without wa- buying a watch. Really? It's not that way anymore. I but, still buy them, but what, not as often. But you had that freedom to do that. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. I used to, it's funny cause this is how much my dreams have changed. I remember when I was in my twenties going to swap meets and thinking to myself, man, I hope someday that I have enough money to buy anything I want at the swap meet. And then 20 years later, I remember going to a swap meet with some friends where I could buy anything and I didn't want anything. I didn't want anything there. That's a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. A big paradigm shift. Yeah. What are swap meets? What is a swap meet? That's just, you like just a, swap stuff? Like a giant garage sale. You know, flea markets. Yeah. Like a flea market. Yeah. Garage sales are dope. Big. Yeah. Like big garage sales, like where there's, where there's hundreds of people that all have their garages there. And I used to walk through those places saying, man, I wish I had money. I couldn't buy anything. And I thought to myself, I want to someday be in a place where I could buy anything. And then when I realized, I actually remember the experience of walking through a flea market swap meet and thinking to myself, there's nothing here that I want. I love the whole one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. people right now that if you go on Craigslist, you could just get free mattresses and then you could flip them for like two, three hundred bucks. Right. Yeah. I think that's like, to me, the most hardcore baseline entrepreneurship. It's like, thing a, you can that's do. like Gary Vaynerchuk idea, right? That is so Gary V. Yeah. 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 Um, my cousin had, uh, he was in a situation where he needed some money and he had a, this is the kind of stuff that I like stuff. That's really unique that no one else would have. Um, he had a meteorite that was found in Africa, a big one. And it, you, when you pick it up, it's older than the sun. And when you pick it up, you can tell it's not a rock because it's extremely dense and you can tell it's been burned and all this, right? It feels like it's, it's about, I don't know, it's probably, did, it's about this did big. Did you buy it, it or did you just I ended of... up buying it from him. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I put it in a display case and I love that thing. Like that's just one of the kinds of things. I like really unique stuff like that. You have that. a meteorite. A meteorite from Meteor- Africa. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. Wow. This thing, if it hits your house, would probably blow up your, like it would blow up your kitchen. What are they made of? It's me- it's got metals in it. It's got metal. It's Straight rock. Space metal. It's rock. It's space metal. Yeah, I should. I never really. One of the things. One of these days, I want to take it to like a university science and have them analyze it and tell me actually what it is. You know. So you you want to go up to space? You're all about the space. Yeah. You got space dust in your house. Yes, I have space. Yep. Yes, I'm all about space. I'm when all you, about being up high. When you were talking with Richard about this, the space travel. Yeah. Did you see something in like his face just light oh, up? Oh, he loves this stuff. He's so excited because. We talked about this. It's the precursor to check this out. It's the precursor to um, orbital civilian daily scheduled space travel. So, for example, let's say you, by the time you're 20, by the 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. So how old are you now? 27. So when you're 47 years old, let's say you want to go to Australia. Instead of taking 23 hours to get to Australia, you'll be able to get there in three hours. Because you'll go 17,000 miles per hour because they'll take you to space. And then then within within an hour, you're over Australia. Damn. Because the Earth's turning and you're going 17,000 miles per hour. And so this is the precursor to daily scheduled civilian orbital space travel. And I'm in the pilot program for that. I'll be one of the first thousand people in the history of the world to be an astronaut. So you have to go through a course to do that? Um, there's, there's experiences that they take you through. Like I'm, I, I've been to the NASTAR, NASTAR, um, uh, astronaut training center in Philly where they take you through the, it's a couple days of G force training where you get to experience the G forces. So you met the other people in your cohort? Some of them, some of them, like I haven't met, I've only met probably 30 of the people that are going to be part of this, that are part that of that must program. be an interesting group of people. I'll tell you what the coolest thing of all so far, besides meeting Richard Branson and spending a week with him, that was the coolest thing. One really? of the coolest yeah, things in my life. It looks like it. But, um, one of the coolest things was, um, visiting the spaceport where they're actually building the spaceships. It's like walking into a science fiction movie 
you sign disclosures, non-disclosures, you can't take pictures. And it really is. It's like walking into a space. It's like walking into a science fiction movie. So we're sitting on these chairs. There are eight of us sitting on these chairs underneath uh, uh, the spaceship. The first one. Now they're building the second one. Spaceship is above us. There's a microphone and eight chairs and we're all sitting in the chairs. And then all the Virgin employees come out and we get to ask them questions. Well, the Virgin employees, they're rocket scientists. They're space shuttle astronauts. They're, you know, all the the top space exploration people in the world are in the room with us, which is just so, was so cool. So cool. What are the type of questions are you asking them? Well, I asked them like, what if we accident, well, we're not going into orbit. We're just going to space. People say, well, are you going to the moon? The moon is like 270,000 miles away. We're going to be a hundred miles over the earth. That's it. But we'll be in space. We'll experience weightlessness. We'll get to see the curve of the earth. We're going to go 3,500 miles per hour, two and a half, two and a half times the speed of sound of, of sound. All right. So we're going to be in space, but we're not going to the moon. But I asked them what well, the question I asked, what if we accidentally go into orbit? And they said, well, if you accidentally, first of all, they said, we're not going to accidentally go into orbit, but if you did, you would probably die. And my first thought was, that wouldn't be a bad way to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to die. It's better than just like getting sick and dying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you have that adrenaline rush in you. Yeah. Yeah. You had motorcycles, you said? be a great story. I did ride a motorcycle, but I don't, it's not my thing. Yeah. I, I rode a motorcycle for high school and college. Straight adrenaline junkie status? Uh, yeah. My doctor years ago told me, one of my you know holistic doctors said, I think you've got an, a problem. I think you have an adrenaline addiction, <laughs> which is a real thing yeah it's no i mean so many people i know have just gotten so effed up in yeah. motorcycle crashes yeah. i mean you're asking for trouble especially when you see people just dipping in and out of traffic on the yeah, highway yeah i it's not my thing i i mean i i there have been times in my life where i've been attracted to them but i've never really wanted to do that well that's crazy man your helicopter flying and i'm totally taking you up on that would let's love that would be, be so much that fun. would be a dream yeah. come have true. you been in a helicopter i have just yeah. like once or twice though okay. nothing crazy but yeah. every time it's just like what? it's great it's a great experience yeah you're yeah. just you're you're flying yeah and every single time i go it's as good as the time before like it doesn't it's like just as exciting as the very first time and when's the eta for the flight for the uh possible or the space travel yeah. um that there's no specific date yet but Richard and his family, we're getting closer. They just moved the spaceships from um, the Mojave to the Spaceport America, which is in Las Cruces. So they're getting closer. Um, Richard and his family will probably go up at the end of uh, this year, and then they'll start regularly scheduled trips, which will probably start off like once a month and then eventually once a week. And, and then your third book's going to come out, Space Money. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> better than better than Beach Money. Man, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. I mean, thanks. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna send you a couple. I can things. tell that we could probably talk for four more hours about this <laughs> right. stuff. The I amount of catch stories a flight, you have. Though. I know you yeah. got to catch a flight. Yeah. And LAX is a nightmare, so you want to get going. Yeah. But dude, I so much appreciate you coming in here and sharing some of this knowledge. If you could say one thing for anybody that's right on the cusp of jumping into entrepreneurship for the first time, maybe they're, you know, maybe it could just be a direct sales company. Maybe they're starting their first company in general, a startup, and you know, they're just scared. They're just. Am scared I allowed to the give them two things? You can give them three. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. First thing is, don't be afraid to stretch your dreams. Write down things that get you excited that you don't, even if you don't believe they're possible, first thing. And just, you just need two or three. You don't need a lot. Just two or three things that get you excited about life. That's the first thing. Second thing is you're going to have setbacks, and some of your setbacks are going to be major setbacks. It's easy to talk about it until you're in it. When you're actually experiencing it, that's when your biggest challenge is. And I, the only thing I would say is just don't quit on a bad day. You're going to have lots of bad days. You can have many, many days that it does. You don't feel like doing the work. Those are the days you want to press harder. You want to press a little harder on those days. Don't quit on a bad day. Your emotions are going to go up and down and people that build successful businesses, they don't make their decisions based on their emotions. They make their decisions based on their commitment. Like what are you committed to? And those are the people, the only people that make it are the people that do that. And, um, the third thing would be just to do the work. You got to do the work, man. Do the work. Yeah. How can people find your book? Beachmoney.com. Uh, follow me on Instagram, beachmoneyjordan. That would be the best. Just follow me on Instagram. 
This yeah. is this has been amazing. We're gonna have to do a round two for sure. Right on. But Thanks again, again. It's been enjoyable. We appreciate you, man. Thanks. What's up, guys? Thanks for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two featuring Jordan Adler. Wasn't that dude's story just amazing? Wow. Can't wait to do something else with him in the future. But as a reminder, you know, this podcast, we bring it to you every Monday and Thursday. It is completely free for you guys listening. All we ask is that you leave a positive review in the Apple Podcast Store, which helps fuel the fire. But again, we appreciate you so much. Always, always, always looking for amazing people to feature on the podcast. So if you know anybody that you think would make a great guest for the Len Jones Party of Two podcast, let us know. Until next time, have a damn good day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.